and welcome back to the Therapy Sisters podcast. Just a little disclaimer before we dive in for today. This year we're tackling a very big topic of religious or spiritual wounds and trauma. And we understand that this may be an uncomfortable topic for some. For the purposes of this podcast, we are not talking about the big traumas that permeate all too many religious communities, but we're focusing on narratives of religious patriarchal shame so many women are working to release in adulthood. If at any point these conversations feel triggering to your experience, please feel free to turn this off and go take good care of yourself. If these conversations feel uncomfortable, but not necessarily triggering, we encourage you to embrace your discomfort and get curious about what it may be telling you. In all things, we hope to elevate women's stories of stepping into their own power and reclaiming their narratives. So welcome today. Rachel, do you want to introduce our guest? Oh, I'd love to introduce our guest. I feel like you're the Therapy Sisters celebrity. Um, yeah, we have her a lot. <laughs> we do. She's such a wealth of knowledge. We're welcoming back Jamie Bush. <clears throat> Jamie's most important role is my best friend. But <laughs> important. Most important. Important, outside of being, you know, all the other things that are important. Um, Jamie um, was on our podcast for the Getting Stuck in Grief interview. And then she also was on our podcast for um, Mother's Daughter's and Body Image. And so she's an incredible human, but also is a fully licensed clinician that I have the honor of working with. And so due to knowing her personally and also uh, knowing her work in the clinical side of things we thought it would be really great to engage in a conversation with Jamie to kick off our <clears throat> kick off the conversation about spiritual wounds so welcome Jamie <laughs> thank you for having me back you guys yeah we love you Jamie <laughs> I'm super excited to be a part of this conversation yeah such an important conversation mm-hmm. yeah it is and we hope to have a lot of these conversations this year so thank you for being our first our guinea pig Hey, yeah. let's let's do it. I'll jump in, jump in, see where it goes, right? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, let's just mute ourselves whenever Jamie's talking, Rachel, because I think there's some feedback that's happening. Um, but to start us off, Jamie, we're talking about um, you know, we're kind of focusing on what some of maybe the the narratives um that those of us who've grown up in faith communities have internalized that maybe are are giving us some things to work through in adulthood um and particularly those you know that feel kind of oppressive to women um and so this month we're talking through the narrative of journey or the yeah the narrative of journey is dangerous um So like Rachel and I definitely internalized those kinds of black and white ideas of like, Hey, this is what you believe and you don't ask questions and you don't step off the path and all that kind of stuff. But obviously, you know, as we've grown into adulthood and had lots of experiences, and I'm sure this is probably true for you too, and met a lot of people with a lot of different stories, particularly in the therapeutic space. um, It turns out that like life's a journey. (laughs) (laughs) It turns out we're always learning, we're always growing. And so we want to just sort of unpack that narrative and talk through how we may have internalized that, particularly as women. And Mm -hmm. so maybe we could start off, if you don't mind, just sharing a little bit of like your story about your upbringing and um, and we'll go from there. Yeah, no, that sounds good. So um, as I was saying right before we started recording, you know, to look at your spiritual journey that for me began, I mean, for all of us, it begins right at, at birth. Right. But, um, 
you know, the different stages that have happened throughout um, my life spiritually and the way that it has impacted me, I've kind of, as I've scaled back, I look and I kind of see that there are four key stages, if you will, <laughs> as I'm analyzing in hindsight. And so I'll try to kind of identify those. And I think that'll really help as, as we jump off this um, in this conversation. But so I grew up super conservative Christian. Um, I went to a Baptist church and my family was in the church every single time the doors were open, right? Like twice on Sunday. This was when, I mean, they used to have two services. I don't know if places still even do that, right? Sunday mornings, go home, take a Sunday afternoon nap, go back Sunday evening. And then um, Wednesday evenings, we would be back too. Um, and we grew up, and, and I guess I want to give a quick disclaimer. Um, I know this is a safe, a safe space to share our stories. And in everything that I share, um, none of this for me was about denomination, right? <laughs> none of this is about specific, um, you know, denominations or types of spiritual entities and how it wounded me, I look back and I more see just, this is about my journey navigating in between those things and where I've ended up today. Um, so yeah, I happen to be a Baptist church who tend to be very, very conservative by nature. Um, and like I said, we were in, in the church every time the doors were open. We always wore dresses. That was an expectation. Um, I was also growing up, I don't know if anyone even knows what these are probably, but culottes to church camp. Like you don't wear shorts. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> um, so just like to give a, a little glimpse, like those are some, for me, those are some of those markers of like, oh, wow, that was super conservative. But so growing up in that form of what I now recognize and began to recognize later as a whole lot of legalism and you wear certain things and you do certain things and sure you have a relationship with this God who saved you, but there are some definite benchmarks um, and definite check boxes that we were expected to do um, within that um, you know stage of my life. Everything was black and white, everything. <laughs> And I laugh. I can laugh about it now. That says how far I've come. Um, but when you grow up and you are immersed in that, I'm, and I'm sure you two can relate, right? Like everything is black and white. It isn't just Jesus and not Jesus. It is it is modesty and what women are allowed to wear and what they're not, right? It is in the things that you're allowed to do and the things that you're not. And it is super, super black and white. And so, um, so there wasn't a lot of that's an understatement. There wasn't any, any encouragement of um, what do you think and how do you interpret this and how does this make you feel? It was very much, this is what is expected and this is what you will do. And hello, submission, <laughs> submit, uh, right? The idea of submitting to the patriarch of the household, whether, you know, wives submitting to their husbands or children submitting to their parents was absolutely, absolutely hammered. Um, in that stage of my life. So um, the other thing I will say on the other side of that, there was also some goodness in a lot of that. Um, I grew up really um, being challenged to read the Bible. And so I became very, very familiar with the Bible. Um, I was taught how to pray and I was taught a lot of these different things, which are still a part of my life now, just looks a little differently um, from, from those seeds that were, that were planted then. Um, but I will say, while there was all of this external pressure and external expectation I also, at that stage in my life, developed 
a communion with God on my own outside of all of that. Um, and I see that as a gift um, that was given to me at that stage in my life that that flowed through. So so we, I was there through probably teenager, right? High school, there was like a church split and all this drama. And um, my parents were like, let's find a different church. And so then we went to a different denomination. Um, and this is so funny because I remember when we started going to a church and I had a lot more um, peers from my school there. Um, and they had a really huge youth group and were, and were a little more, um, not quite as legalistic, right? Like I remember the first time I went to a service, like they were singing things that weren't hymns. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and uh, yes. people were like raising their hands in worship. I know this sounds so absurd to be telling this story now, but again, when you are, when you don't know anything else, like this was like, what's going on here? <laughs> and I remember being uncomfortable, even though there was also this little inkling of curiosity and like a freedom that I couldn't quite put my hands on as I'm like being kind of pulled out of my comfort zone a little. So I enter then this stage of, oh, okay, so maybe things aren't so strict and maybe we don't have to be quite so legalistic. Like, oh, I wore shorts on a mission trip, not culottes, actual shorts. Ah, <laughs> nobody died and went to hell. Um, um, but so, so kind of getting away from that legalism a little bit, but there from that stage in my life, I still remember so much of the focus being on, right? You're a teenager. And for me, that was youth group and lots of involvement. Um, so much focus on like female modesty and so much focus on sexual shame. We kind of whisper it when it's even talked about, um, but don't lose your virginity because if you do, you're good for nothing. And um, just some of those. And again, I will acknowledge I do not believe anyone in my spiritual journey or upbringing set out to do any harm to me. And also <laughs> harmful narratives were, were received and communicated either directly or indirectly. So both of those truths can, can be, can be true and can have merit. And they absolutely did. And so, um, so here you are, right. Um, I'm a teenager and I have hormones and I'm dating. And I also, um, in this stage of my life, I started getting depressed because I had some childhood trauma that was resurfacing. And so at this stage of my life, I remember thinking, okay, I still have this relationship with God. As far as when I talk to him, when I pray to him, I feel him. And my family had had some experiences where, you know, my dad had lost jobs or we, you know, we were praying for financial provision or different things. And like, I don't know how else to explain it other than I had experiences in my life up to this point where God had just showed up. So here I was in this space, like I do believe God is real. And personally, I experience him in some different ways. And then externally, man, it just feels really messy. It just doesn't feel like it lines up um, because here I was depressed and one of the... Um, you know, underlying messages I had received was, you're not supposed to de be depressed, right? Like have faith. <laughs> faith is enough. You're not supposed to be sad um, if you really love and trust God. And so I was kind of wrestling with that. I was wrestling with, um, I lost my virginity in high school and, oh, I knew it was wrong. I'd been told that my whole entire life. Um, but then I was like, oh, oh, so, so it doesn't matter now, right? Like, because there was no, I, I rarely heard messages of, redemption or messages of the body is good, or even messages of, can we lean in and have some really uncomfortable conversations, right? There was still a whole heck of a lot of absolute truth and not a lot of room for curiosity or dialogue. Um, and so I would say that led me through college. I went to um, 
a fairly conservative Christian college. And so much of the same, where again, just noticing a little more disconnect. Okay, God is good and I'm feeling some goodness and some personal connection and also externally would wrestle with some things, right? Um, but I had just kind of resigned to believe that this is just how it is, right? Like kind of push that down, um, follow the narrative. It's okay. It's not that big a deal, even though I feel like the older that I got, the more disconnect or the more internal kind of dissonance I would feel. So in college, it was a lot more of the same, a nice mix of things. That's where um, I met my first husband. That's so weird to say that. Um, my ex-husband now, but it was a lot of, again, I share that because that's a significant part of my spiritual journey and that I met this man who seemed to be crazy in love with God and seemed to be great and could say all of the right things. And you don't have sex before marriage, right? And so I own the fact, these are my choices, but I own the fact that we moved very quickly, uh, much more quickly than I would advise anyone to, um, and jumped into this relationship. And even though I saw some red flags of some different, you know, concerns or behaviors or what have you, but he loves God and that's the most important thing and all this stuff, right? And so in hindsight, I recognize how, again, not having the space to unpack some of this or have conversations about what does this mean? And when we feel this disconnect, what do we do with it? Um, I own, I made a choice that I, that I wouldn't have made if I had had that space. And so um, I would say that second phase continued through my marriage. And then about partway through my marriage, um, by this point, I'm an adult, right? And I had chosen what church I was attending and I started attending a non-denominational church. And this was the church that I would say really the church community that really brought a lot of healing to me. Um, because it was very outside of the box <laughs> and homeless people would walk in um, and sit next to like literal business owners in my community. And it was so much about healing and I felt so much authenticity and I felt like, I feel like God's presence is here. If you can, if you can, you know, quantify what that feels like. Um, but this church, they talked a lot about bring your imperfect self and, um, they started really talking about shame and how that shows up and how it holds us back. And um, so here I am in this marriage that I'm like, oh, I don't, this doesn't feel right to me, but I need to stay married because that's what I'm supposed to do. That's the good Christian girl thing. And yet I'm in this church where I'm starting to hear a lot of um, freedom messages and empowering messaging. And so I would say it's about that point that I would say maybe the third stage of my spiritual religious journey started. And that was where I started to face okay, like what if I really start stepping away from some of this black and white thinking, what would that look like? Particularly, how does God feel about divorce? Um, that was a big thing that I wrestled with. And yet I own the fact that I wrestled very isolated. Um, I didn't share that, um, even though I was in this great community and um, I had made some good connections. I still, those roots of you do not get divorced ever. <laughs> maybe if somebody cheated, maybe, but like you don't get divorced ever. Right. And so for me, that was just a really significant point where I'm like, you know what, I need to start really wrestling with God about this. I really need to start sitting with what does this mean for me? Because I am not myself. I realize, I was realizing a lot of things that happened um, that were not healthy and that were not good. And essentially to make a long story short, I realized 
I could not be my full authentic self. I could not be the person that I was supposed to be and remain in this marriage. Those two things could not cohabitate. And I realized, okay, so am I going to stay in this marriage and sign up for losing myself further? Or am I going to give myself permission, permission to face this spiritual shame narrative and get out and potentially potentially experience some freedom, right. And some goodness for me. And, um, I asked for a divorce, um, and I felt more peace than I'd felt in years. Um, and, and part of that was, was just this idea that the place I landed was, I don't think God wants me to stay in a relationship that's, that's toxic, that is not healthy and where I am withering away. I do not believe that is giving God honor and glory if that's truly what I believe I was created to do on the, on, on this earth. So anyway, so that's kind of stage three. And then it was like, okay, where do I want to go to church and what do I want my community to look like? And, um, started just unpacking more of, of kind of some of those absolute truths and some of the, the shame narrative in my life. Um, and I would say that's continued. There's been a lot of good. There's been a lot of curiosity. Um, there's been a lot of, giving myself the pep talk. Oh yeah. It's okay to tell someone that you're asking this question. <laughs> it's okay to tell someone you don't know, <laughs> even though everything, you know, was black and white when you grew up. And I would say that leads me to now. And even the space I'm in, in the past few years that I feel like where I started unpacking a lot of the shame surrounding my body and the narratives that I received, um, in my faith communities about my body being bad and my flesh being bad. And, um, um, my emotions, you know, I can't trust those, um, essentially that I can't trust myself. And I feel like that's more of the work that I've leaned to just here recently. So I don't know if that helps kind of, I feel like it, it's been like a, a, an evolution. I kind of like to, like to say, but I hope that helps lay the foundation. It sounds like you talked a little bit. I mean, you mentioned at the end there, just like some of the narratives you've heard and <clears throat> I think knowing you and your journey, like the qu quote deconstruction for you was kind of and is continually kind of the unraveling of the black and white mm -hmm. kind of harmful narratives, right? That you continually, would you mind saying a little bit more about like what some of the narratives were yeah. outside of mentioned that you've kind of had to unravel, especially being a mom with a daughter, right? Thinking about right. that, her body and her trusting herself and like <clears throat> never wanting our children to feel that shame. Cause Karis and I both have said the same thing. Like, I don't believe anybody was out to harm anybody. And yet those narratives were somewhat painful and created shame. I mean, I can relate to everything you said. <laughs> so yeah. can you give a little bit more about that for yourself? <clears throat> yeah, I think um, some of the main narratives that I wrestled with, for sure, the black and white thinking and that I, I do believe in absolute truth, right? Like when I was younger, I believed everything was absolute. And to be fully honest, I believe there are very little absolutes, but there are some absolutes and I believe most things are gray. Um, but one of the narratives that I realized, this was a quiet one that I honestly hadn't quite put my finger on until the past few years, that if all we are taught is absolute, if all we are taught is it's this or it's that, and it's follow the rules and it is black and white, where is there any room to develop self-trust? And what do I think and what is right for me and what decisions do I want to make? And so, yes, everything is absolute. But the subtext of that is and you cannot trust yourself. Huge, 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 huge. So that is a really key narrative. And then um, the body narratives, right, as far as um, 
bodies, female bodies, I guess. I don't know that male bodies were ever even talked about, right? Why were female bodies the only ones talked about? No. <laughs> only the effect of the female body on the male body and how that's our responsibility. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's our responsibility to make sure they don't look. It is our responsibility to um, make sure they're not having sexual thoughts about us. These, well, when I was in youth group, they're teenage boys with hormones. Come on, they're having how many sexual thoughts a day that has nothing to do with looking at anybody at all? <laughs> That's just the biology, right? None of that was talked about. And so for sure, the, the messaging of it is our responsibility to make sure that our male counterparts are okay and that we are not leading them astray. And again, the subtext of these things was so powerful because what's the subtext of that? The subtext of that is you're evil. The subtext of this is you're a temptress just by existing. Um, So I think that was there. Um, Then to kind of piggyback on that, um, the subtext of sex is dirty. Um, Because we didn't even talk about it. It was talked about you don't have it (laughs) until marriage period. That was it. That was my experience with the church addressing sex, but also very similarly at home, if I'm honest. Um, And so, right, again, what does that mean when you're developing hormones? Or what does that mean even as a married woman? And if sex is sinful and dirty, am I even allowed to enjoy? I mean, am I even allowed to enjoy this? And what does this mean? And what does it mean that I have these desires? And am I bad for having that? Um, so I think that that's a big narrative. And then also, I think another key one that I would point out was just this idea that emotions can't be trusted, um, right? Essentially, none of my desires or kind of innate feelings or experiences can be trusted because I am sinful and I am bad. Um, that was absolutely the message I received, right? And, and you know, we'll get to this later, but about implications that we see in clinical practice. Um, but I know I experienced, okay, am I not having enough faith because I'm not supposed to be this? Like we weren't, it wasn't talked openly about depression or struggles or what have you. It was you're struggling, pray to God, right? Um, and so just this idea that if I'm having any emotions, but particularly negative emotions or even, right, I guess, enjoyable desires being met or what have you, oh man, those really shouldn't be trusted. You really, you really need to pray. You really need to have faith. You really need to see what's the black and white answer to that and figure out how to shut all of that down to fit in the right box. Yeah. Or even like then kind of like that, that inner voice speaking to you, like when something's not right. So when you're, you're part of the story, when, you know, in your marriage, Mm -hmm. you know, how, how quickly did you dismiss that voice? Because, you know, it, it was informing you of something that essentially would take you outside of the checkbox, right? Like, absolutely. And Mm so, yeah, just that intuition piece with that, which I know Rachel and I are both pretty strong believers in that. Like we, we do have that innate Mm -hmm. sort of wisdom that gets a little bit conditioned out of us. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I love that point. And I think that's really true. And I think that's, you know, not that yeah, we could get into a whole the whole thing about men and emotions, but like, I think that's a very female directed idea because, you know, just, we do have a lot of intuition and that sort of thing. And I think just, again, that sort of 
patriarchal idea of like, hey, if, if a woman expresses emotion, she's crazy. She's, yeah. you know, whatever, whatever judgment you want to put on that, um, that, that, you know, additional layers get added to that in, in a religious setting. And so I think that's such, I love, I like those two categories of like, not, you know, disconnecting from your emotions and your internal voice. And then also like the body shame that I think are both very female directed mm-hmm. narratives. Um, oh, it's ra- it's rampant. I mean, truly, I think that's an appropriate word. And I bet you and Rachel would both agree with that. I feel like it is, it is rampant in my practice. It is rampant um, with my female friends who grew up similarly. And I would even say I have to fight really hard for it not to be rampant in my own mind, even though I know better now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So true because it is conditioned. It's like it, you have to undo all the, it, it, it's continual conscious work, right? Cause we've got this wiring that we've internalized and that's why we we're kind of calling it those internalized narratives. It's just our operating system. And so to reset that operating system does take continual work and awareness and that sort of thing. Um, and this seems like a good segue then into, into clinical practice. Just curious what, what kinds of things along these lines, um, that you see coming up that, um, yeah, that women, women in your office are deconstructing and, and, and trying to find, yeah, peace with. Yeah. So, so I would say primarily, I know your podcast is for women and primarily I see this in women because it's primarily women who come to therapy. We know all of those statistics, but I will just say quickly that I have also unpacked a lot of this with a few of my male clients as well, um, who are, you know, in their forties, who were in the purity culture or grew up super conservative. And so, um, while yes, the focus today is women, this also is impacting men who are choosing to, to really recognize and see the impacts of some of this. So, um, what I see in clinical practice is this, um, a lot of women come in with, with beliefs that I don't know that they can necessarily articulate the first time they walk in. Right. Um, but with beliefs of my body is bad. My body is bad. Um, Oftentimes that will present as, you know, I'm depressed or I have body image issues or I have issues with food or I have whatever I have. There's another symptom that they often come in with. They rarely come in speaking that narrative to me, but my body is bad. Um, And and a lot of that stems from um, some of the harmful messaging as far as my body is here just for when we're married, my body is here for my husband. It isn't for me, right? Um, my body is bad um, because it doesn't it doesn't look a certain way, or maybe I am trying to dress modestly and I still get a cat call over here. My body is bad um, because it has these desires to eat or or to have sex or to feel deep things. And I'm not supposed to have these or to be able to freely exhibit these things. Um, so I see my body is bad narrative very, very significantly. Um, I see, and, and then and henceforth, a lot of shame. Uh, I mean, shame is all over the place in this. Um, but I see that as sexual shame. Um, I see that with, um, I'm unable to enjoy sex with my husband. Um, I see that as I don't even know if I'm allowed to talk about it. Am I allowed to talk about this mistreatment or this abuse that happened um, when I was younger? Um, that's, you know, that has to do with my body. I see that in um, a real struggle or inability to 
identify and express their deepest emotions, particularly ones that we often associate as negative, particularly disappointment, particularly grief, particularly anger, <laughs> particularly depression, sadness, right? Um, because again, right, we're supposed to have so much faith or we're not, we shouldn't feel these things or, um, we didn't grow up in a place where people had the resources or the knowledge or the intuition to know just because we're uncomfortable um, doesn't mean we have to avoid them, right? We can be curious and we can lean in and also we can love Jesus, right? If that's what you believe, um, those things aren't mutually exclusive. Um, Jesus wept, right? <laughs> you know, Jesus felt big things. I think Jesus threw over some tables in a temple. I think that's a pretty angry thing to do. <laughs> and yet, um, right, we're not supposed to have these big emotions. And so a big part of my work is just giving women permission um, to feel what they feel, permission to um, you know, say things out loud that they were never able to. But then I would say the third thing, and I mentioned this before, is I see a lot of women who really struggle with the idea of trusting themselves. Um, really, really struggling to tap into that intuition that I, as, as you and Rachel both said, I 100% buy into that. And whether you believe it's the Holy Spirit, whether you believe that's just who you are, whatever you believe about that, we have it. It is there. Um, and again, giving women permission to tune into it. Um, and then to act on what they learn too. And to know, I would argue that's good, right? That is the farthest thing from sinful, you know, that is, that is beautiful. And that is a tool that we have. Um, so yeah, the body shame, the emotional shame, um, and the lack of self-trust, I think are the, there, there's more, but I think those are the big three that I see. Yeah. Sometimes I'm sure you do this too, Jimmy, but sometimes I pose the question, what if, what if that was not, what if that shame was never meant for you? Hmm. Good after all. Right. Because that narrative of like this belief that they're wrong or they're bad or like I see that all the time, especially in doing EMDR, the things that come up about I did something wrong or I'm not good enough or I can't be trusted to make decisions. And it keeps it's sneaky, so sneaky, but it keeps coming yeah. up. You know, you're like, oh, those are little spiritual traumas. Oh, and most of my clients now can identify. Right. Because they're very aware of it. Um but I wanted to ask you, if you could give a piece of advice to somebody on their journey, a fellow yes. journeyer, <laughs> no matter where they are, believe, don't believe, aren't sure, yes. what would that be on the spot? <laughs> what would that be? Well, I have two things that come to mind. Um, okay. First thing, and I know this is you guys too, this is how you approach things. But when you find something that makes you feel uncomfortable or afraid, um, please, 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 please stop avoiding it and permission to just lean in and to be curious um, and to hold space for yourself. And along those lines, I do not believe um, the God that I choose to believe in and follow um, does not use shame or fear to get our attention. He doesn't need to do that shit. <laughs> right. And um, so if you are in a community, if you are on a religious journey and you are experiencing or made to feel a lot of shame and fear, I would encourage you to take pause and to listen to that and to give yourself permission to, to step away and to reflect. Um, because I would argue that's not God at all. That is a total misrepresentation of who I believe God to be. So 
shame and fear, get the heck out. <laughs>